Hi, I'm Steve Davis, the most interesting snooker player in the world, and you're listening to Six Pack. I've got time for one more round and a six pack to go. One six-pack to go. Welcome back to Six Pack, a podcast in which a couple of old drinking buddies share some favourite tunes and a six-pack of beer. We'll randomly choose a year, spin six tunes and down six beers. I'm Gareth and I'm joined by, is it Woody? Is it Buzz Lightyear? No, it's Ryan. Oh, okay. Yeah. (laughs) This episode will be playing music from the year 1995. That was obviously a reference to um, Cheers, the sitcom. Woody the Barman. No, I'm joking. Yeah. <laughs> Toy Story. Toy Garrett. Story. Yep, Toy yep, Story yep, came yep, out yep. in 95. Yeah. Did you? I've never seen that. Have You've you never seen, seen it? it? Nah, I've never seen that. In 1995, I was 18. It's actually pretty good. If you've got to watch those kind of things, it's good. It was the first animated kind of yeah, um, yeah. fully computer generated. Was Tom Hanks the voice of that? Or? Yeah, he's in that. Yeah. It was no Scooby-Doo. <laughs> no Scooby-Doo. Yeah. But we're doing 1995. Yeah. Interesting one. And we've got a really, really interesting guest, I reckon. Oh, this is a big one for you because he's a six-time world snooker champion. He's the BBC Sports Personality uh, of the Year, 1988, I really? think. Really? Yeah. Bloody it, hell. So it's very British-centric. So maybe some people in Australia won't know who the hell we're talking about. If you're listening in USA or Brazil, you won't know who the hell we're talking about. If it was Brazil, it would be like having Romario on or whatever. This person we've got on is not just a snooker player. He's now... He's into his music. He's into music. Whoa, 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 whoa. special guest drinking buddy. It's Steve... Davis. He said he's the most interesting snooker player. Do you know why? Explain that to people, Gareth. So he, he was known as not being interesting, but... Well, no, did you get spitting image here? Uh, we did, yeah. Yeah, yep, so, the puppets. Yeah, so yep. he had a spitting image puppet. Yep. And because all the snooker players in the 80s had, the, you know, they'd be Hurricane Higgins or Whirlwind White, he wanted, in the spitting image show, they kind of, oh, give me a name. And they will call you Steve Interesting Davis because he was, a, you know, he was known for being not the party animal. Yeah, 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 yeah. Whereas some of the other guys were kind of like Jimmy White would be on the front page of The Sun because he'd just yeah. been caught with coke and hookers and that sort of thing. And Steve Davis was very straight down the line. But now he's kind of discovered this whole new um, world. But so we, we talked to him about all that stuff, which yeah. is amazing. Which, and and he, he plays a, um, a great tune, which I must admit, I didn't know who the band was. But we'll yeah. get to that later. A cult band. Cult band again, very kind of UK centric, but um, good stuff. And what are we drinking? We're drinking this week? beer, it's another Bent Spoke beer, Gareth. We drunk Bent Spoke every season, I think. We have it's called Hop Juice 4.8%. Drifting in is Hop Juice, a tropical fruit, juicy pale ale, a mm. summer fruit salad ale in a glass. It does taste very it tropical, is. it's a little it? bit like um, do you get lilt in the uh, <laughs> It's What's like, that? It's like a pineapple-y kind of thing. But it, oh, I mean, it yeah, tastes, yeah. It does taste like pineapple, doesn't bit, it? And yeah. also, the um, I'm thinking that's the equivalent of eating a slice of pineapple. I quite like it. <laughs> yeah, me too. Mm. Yeah. Uh, we're sponsored again by Bintani. Bintani supply hops, malt, and yeast to the beer industry. Make Bintani your partner in tasting quality. Thanks, Bintani, for the brews again. Mm, delicious. All right, 95. We haven't done the 90s for a bit. We haven't. Now, Gareth, a big one for me. So I'd finished school and I was in first year uni. So I'm coming from, like you were probably, in 95, you would have been like 25 or whatever. Yeah, 24. I was in first year uni and um, I'm playing some of the stuff that I heard then. 
And it's also funny being Australian, like triple J was a bit of a thing here. Mm. Mm-hmm. And um, when you're 18, that's how you accessed mm. music mm. by the national broadcaster. Well, the era was well and truly Britpop in the UK. Uh, it was. Yeah. And, 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 so and those and bands may feature. Well, well, they? well, they will feature. I'm going to kick us off. We won't do it right yet, but I'm going to kick us off with a Britpop song because it was so huge, Gareth, because obviously you had Country House by Blur, Morning Glory by Oasis, um, All Right by Supergrass. Like, it was Britpop, yeah. Yeah, yeah. wasn't it? You were in London for all I was that. in London. So yeah. I was just starting to assist in studios around yeah. then. So it was early days of my engineering career. Yeah. It's an uh, interesting time, I think. Shall I kick us off with yeah. a track, Gareth? Yeah. I'm going to give us my classic trifecta of a British, Australian, and American song. Okay, good idea. Right? And I'm going to kick us off in Britpop. And it was huge, and we were so influenced by that over here. Like, it really was a cool thing. I remember watching the Brits yep. on TV, you know, the fashion and everything and the haircuts, and I was like, wow. I thought I'd kick us off with this one because it was controversial because it borrowed from another song that they got sued for. Have a listen to this one, Gareth. Uh, okay. Number one, song one. Mm. and the song's called Connection. You were probably in uh, the good mixer in Camden back then dancing to it. Um, But the reason I played it, it's a cracking tune, but also it was very derivative of a Wire song. Yeah, got ripped off, didn't it? They claimed it was um, plagiarism. Should we play a bit of the Wire song? Yeah. Um, Three Girl Rumba, is that it? (laughs) 
well, that's all we need to hear. Of course. Like, like, yeah, they fucking ripped them off, didn't they, Gareth? Oh, yeah. So that and was Justin Frischman, who yeah, was going out with... Um, Damon Albarn. Albarn at the time. And he wrote one of the Blur albums dedicated to, you know, his breakup mm. with her. I think that was Tender. It definitely has a Blur vibe to it as well, doesn't it? It Some does, but it's like, it's pretty cool. It wasn't an exciting time to be in London when that was going on. Yeah. Like a swinging 60s style yeah. London. Weirdly, I was probably into quite a lot of American stuff still mm. around then. There's a bit mm. of a hangover of, um, you know, the Albini yep. sound was probably yeah, still yep. like a yep. lot of the stuff that was coming out of my yep. turntable at the time. But um, yep. I just started working at a few small studios as well. Yep. One of the, yep. I, the, I remember one of the funny things that happened to me in 95 was um, I often did overnight sessions at studios. Yep. So I remember one time I went, knowing that I would be going home to my mother's for the weekend, my parents' <laughs> for the weekend, yeah. I thought, I'll take some washing back with me. So I, I, filled, <laughs> I filled a bag, pretty much all yeah. my clothes that I had that were you dirty. Were, you were 42 at the time. No, I was 24. Yeah. I know I shouldn't be doing it. And I thought, I'll go and, I'll go and get washed at home because she's got a dryer or whatever. And then my car got broken into and all my clothes got stolen. All my fucking clothes got stolen. So there's some homeless dude back in 1995 walking around in he's, my underpants and a bloody Sonic Youth t-shirt. He's, he, black he, t-shirt. he's got a vintage outfit from 1995. <laughs> yeah. He's rocking. Is he the world's worst dressed criminal, <laughs> Gareth? Not so smooth criminal. <laughs> That's one of the things that happened to me. So it was definitely a good time to be in London, for sure. But yeah, some big news stories that were happening. Oh, yeah. Again, we're going to talk about the royal family. Charles and Camilla divorced. Yeah. Charles and Camilla divorced. Mm. Charles divorced and Camilla divorced Ooh, at hey, the same hey, time. So who, they were timing it. Who's Camilla's husband? Parker Bowles. Oh God, who's Mister Parker Bowles? Peter Parker Bowles, I think. Maybe? I, feel, I, I feel like. Do you ever watch To the Manor Born? Was he that guy? <laughs> well, he died this week. No, he, he did. He did. What? He did. You're no, no. The, to the Manor the Born. Dude. Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah, yeah. Oh, there you go. What was his name? And he was probably a Cockney playing a um, posh bike. He was a Bowls, wasn't he? He was Bowls. Um, I don't know. Bowls, someone Bowls. Anyway, yeah, not Parker Bowls. Yeah. So they divorced. Yeah. Diana did her big TV interview. Oh, with the um, the BBC journalist who duped her. Yeah, yep. when she spills the beans on, the, on her um, infidelity. Yeah, And the right. fact she's been fucking rugby players and stuff behind Charles's back. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, all that stuff. To quote you, Gareth, we've all done that. (laughs) (laughs) What else was going on? So, should we talk about the people that died? Mm -hmm. Kenny Everett. Your hero. Kenny Everett died. Well, Gareth, that's in the best possible taste (laughs) that you bring that up. So, yeah. uh, um, Donald Pleasance died. Who was he again? We were talking about Waking Fright the other day. Plays the old doctor in in Waking Fright. Is he an Aussie actor? No, no, he's a Brit. I know the name. He's in loads of horror films. Yeah, yeah, okay. He's in James Bond films and stuff, so he was he was big. Dean Martin died. Dino Martini. Dino, we've, who we uh, played on the show in friend. our booze special, '95. I think from memory, he was born in 1917. So <laughs> did that yeah. does that make him about uh, 78 or something? In his 70s when he died. So those they died. Oh. Someone else who possibly died yeah. was Richie Manick from Manic Street Preachers. Now he disappeared. Mm. It's ambiguous whether he suicided or he just went missing in action. Yeah, so his car was found by the Seven Bridge, which is a big bridge. It's a suicide bridge. A bridge between Wales and England. Were they an okay band when he was in them? I always thought they were pretty shitty. Uh, I don't know. The year before that, yeah. I, when I just started assisting in studios, yeah, one yeah, of the yeah. very first sessions that I did. 
was assisting on the Manic Street Preachers mix. Okay. With them in the studio? Only with the singer. So James Dean Bradfield was there. Oh, but no one yeah, else. yeah, yeah, yeah. And he was cool. They got quite big. What was that song, If You Tolerate This, Your Children Will Be Next? Yeah. Well, that was pretty big. He was yeah. good. He was a good dude. Um, and he disappeared, so we still don't know. So maybe he's listening. As in the same, <laughs> Connie Francis is listening, and then maybe he's Richard Manic's listening. So that's the deaths. Is it me for my first It's you for a song. All yeah. right. Okay. 1995. You're in the good mixer. You've got your Fred Perry on. Your, um, <laughs> your Doc Martin boots. No, all my clothes have been stolen, remember? <laughs> <laughs> I'm in my Marks and Spencer's cheap T-shirt. Okay. Yeah. All right. What are you going to play? Okay. I might play something American, though. Yep. Okay. Let's go with this one. Be a number two. Song two. <laughs> Um, but I've had too many um, Ben Spoke hop juices to remember. If you tell me what they start with, I'll know who it is. G, B, V. Guided by Voices. Guided by Voices. Yeah, I did know that. Yeah, yeah. from Dayton, Ohio. Yeah, yeah. They had a few albums out at that point. They had. That was their first yeah. on Matador, though. So they had a, And they put some sort of other indie stuff out before then. But, yeah, um, and they split up. Uh, they've, they're still going now. So they've, oh, been, okay. off, they've been off yeah. and on over the years, I yeah. think. Um, did see them play back in the day. Just really concise pop songs that, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, quick, lo-fi, yeah. kind of from Dayton, Ohio. So the same place as uh, Kim Deal from Readers. So I think there they you go. kind of ride on, on the, her tails a little bit. But yeah, they're cool. I like them. Guided by Voices. New words in the dictionary. Yeah. In 1995. Yeah. USB. Unique. Um... No, the USB. No, 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 yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> USB was in there for the first yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. Wiki was in there for the first okay. time. So yeah. the internet was just starting to take off. Yeah. What percentage of a UK household had internet in 1995? Oh, uh, uh, zero. 1%. Yeah, 1%. right. So it was really the birth of it, but it was starting yeah. to take off. So eBay started in 1995. Oh, really? Amazon started in 1995. Yeah, okay. So obviously they weren't really selling stuff online much then, yeah, but they yeah, were yeah. just, you know, they were at the right In their point. infancy. In the infancy, right yeah. right place, right time to be starting out on that at, stuff. Do, had you just bought shares in Blockbuster Video at this point? <laughs> <or>? <laughs> yeah, probably. 
Uh, so very, very early days of internet. Well, some big sport things were happening. Oh, yeah. Eric Cantona. Oh, God, I remember that when he uh, kicked the fan. He did the karate kick in the Dude, team. I was watching that. A fan abused him from the stands and he couldn't keep his temper in check and went and, like, did a karate kick. Like, that's some passion, isn't it? <laughs> I reckon if I was playing in the Premier League, I'd be able to keep my cool and just go, <laughs> you know, some thug from the, the crowd is abusing me. I'd go, no, I'm earning 300,000 pounds a week. Yeah. I can keep it in check. Well, when that happens, we'll find out. <laughs> we'll find out. Second tune for you. Second tune for me, Gareth. And uh, like I was saying, I'm going to go um, uh, English, Australian, American. So, 95, I was in first year uni. I thought I'd reel you off, Gareth. A few albums that came out in 1995, mm. right? The Bends by Radiohead. Oh, yeah. Um, the first Silverchair album came out. Mm. <laughs> the first Foo Fighters album oh, came yeah. out, which I actually bought. Yo. They were actually okay then, right, the first right. one, because he just... He did it himself. Like, yeah, he yeah. did it himself, and yep. Nirvana had just finished. Yep. Like, we didn't know it was going to turn into what mm. it turned into. Mm-hmm. UMI's second album came out. I bought that one. One of the biggest sellers, Jagged Little Pill by Alanis Morissette. Mm. Mm. You'd like to right. buy that, yeah? Um, no, I didn't buy that one. <laughs> Ironically, I didn't buy that one, Gareth. But I thought I would play you. He's a friend of the show. We've had him on as a guest.
So you know who that was. Well, you said friend of the show, so I yeah. was Aussie, so I thought it must be Custard. It was Chas and Dave. No, 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 it was Custard. Custard. They were a big deal for me in 95. What do you think of that? Like just having, not being that familiar with them and hearing it in um, 27 years later or whatever it is. I think if I'd have been exposed to that back then, I would probably be enjoying it and listening to it's it. It's cool, isn't it? Yeah, it's good. Yeah. We're going to cut over to our chat with Steve Davis. Now, it's an interesting one, Gareth, because um, he's a DJ. He's a musician as well, right? Yeah, which most people would think, what? What do you mean? Steve yeah. Davis is a snooker player. So since retiring, I think in 2016, yeah. he's teamed up with another couple of musicians and started a what I'd describe as an electronic, it's almost kind of krauty electronic mm. kind of stuff. One of the guys from Gong. I think he's played in Gong in the, in the later years yeah, and he's yeah. also played in Cardiacs, which... Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's written a book, which I had a listen to on Audible, was amazing, and he's been DJing um, soul music and weird, strange music for God knows how long as well. So he's not just a snooker player. It's amazing. So for me, it was really exciting to have a chat with him. Let's cut over to it, shall we? I think we should do it. Here we go. Hello, yeah. Steve. This is so good that you're able to catch up with us. This is great. Pleasure, pleasure. Appreciate how busy you are. It's such a great story because to the average punter, obviously Steve Davis is Steve interesting, Davis the snooker player. But when you scratch beneath the surface and you find out a little bit more, I think this is amazing. So I've recently had the pleasure of uh, listening to your audible version of uh, medical grade music. Oh, blimey. And it was great. It was great. So the fact that you are obviously... you're. <laughs> A highly achieved uh, sports person, and uh, now you've kind of retired and moved into this new realm. So how the hell did that happen? Isn't that, there was never a plan. I and mean, I'm not sure how many people in life have a plan, but I certainly didn't have one. You know, like, you know, I, I would be in awe of people that, that said, yeah, the, the moment I saw this, I knew I was going to be in stocks and shares, and I knew I was going to do this. And I, um, these people do exist, you know, like these, these people that make these lists and they write down and visualise what they're going to, you know, these... I never did that. I never even had a... I fell in love with snooker, and before I knew it, I was world champion. I didn't have... It, <laughs> wow. It wasn't, it wasn't... You know, that's how it felt, you know? I, and I was taken along on the crest of the wave of... You know, I kept on improving, and um, before I knew it, I'd reached the level of standard that was good enough to win anything in the amateur world, and the only reason I turned professional was I wanted to play better and play better players, so I turned professional. I didn't think it was ever going to be a career, because there wasn't a great deal of money in it in 1978. <laughs> so, and then I was tipped to win the world championship and I won the world championship. Amazing. And so it happened what seemed like in the blink of an eye. <clears throat> and then that's my career. And I did pretty well. I had the jump on most players in the eighties. I think I was sort of, I'd raised the bar sufficiently enough that I, I had a very successful 1980s and it took a 10 year period, maybe before the standard caught up and the new breed of the next generation came along and Stephen Hendry came along. So I had a pretty good run at it during the eighties. And what an interesting time to be doing it as well. Cause it was the, it became, I think Barry Hearn described it on a doco I saw as uh, Dallas with balls. Because uh, it was so, it <laughs> okay. wasn't just a sport. It became kind of front page tabloid kind of stuff throughout the eighties as well. <laughs> until those characters and because in in Australia and maybe some of the younger um, listeners, they might not understand like the level of your fame. It was pretty. <laughs> it was pretty insane, wasn't it? 
Well, it's, especially in the UK, and, and yeah. I think that uh, whilst people in the sporting world do, you know, do become very famous, you wouldn't have thought a game, a pastime like snooker, could reach those levels. But a bizarre sort of sequence of events that somebody came up with a television program, like a one-frame a week thing called Pot Black, which is going back into the history of the game. Yeah. BBC just sort of used it initially because they knew it was an easy way to show off colour TV, which was in its infancy. And they realised that people liked it and they were getting good viewing figures for it. And uh, a little known fact is David Attenborough was head of TV sport. Oh, you're right. Yeah, wow. He signed off allowing snooker on the television. Uh, when they decided to show the world championship in its entirety, I think he was still there as well. But BBC knew they had this sort of like this this thing that shouldn't really be popular, but is, I suppose, a pastime. A pastime became a sport, you know. But like everything's just a game. So the end result is we only had t- no, I don't know, back back in Australia back then, but there was only three TV channels in the UK back then. Yeah, same so, here. Yeah. yeah. So we had a trapped audience as well. So it was the golden period because, you know, even the Queen was watching snooker. <laughs> <laughs> and I know this because I got awarded the MBE for services to snooker. And it was on a Monday morning and I'd won a tournament the day before. But I, I turned up for my MBE at the palace and the Queen pinned my medal on. And as we were shaking hands, she spoke to me and said, We had to go out of the country at the weekend. Did you win the final? <laughs> wow Was this 85 Steve? That no, was after that one It was after that one Once I'd uh, put the wheel Back on the cart yeah. Um, yeah, right. That's amazing And snooker yes. then was I mean Back in the day I guess you had Characters like Bill Werbenick Were having a pint of beer Now we're We're a beer podcast Here as well as Music podcasts So we kind of like To combine the two It was common for Not just darts players I guess snooker players Back then to be having A, a few whiskeys Or I think didn't Werbenick sort of down 76 cans of lager during one game or something? And then you, uh, uh, on the opposite side of that, were they drinking your water, which is kind of like... The game doesn't come from the darts background, though. So snooker clubs weren't really a drinking fraternity. A lot of snooker clubs back in the um, yeah the 70s would have been, um, they wouldn't have had alcohol licences. The snooker fraternity would be fueling themselves with tea and coffee more than anything else. Yeah, okay. But obviously you would have got certain players back in, in that time that would have been drinking and they didn't stop people drinking on stage. But they were in the minority. So people think about, you know, Alex Higgins, um, maybe Jimmy White occasionally would have had a drink, beer at the table, a couple of other players and of course Bill Werbenick, you know, the, the legend, you know, who, who did actually, you know, probably drink 30 pints in a day if he played um, and, wow. and made more visits to the toilet than he did visits <laughs> to the toilet. Yeah, I started playing in a working men's club and having a beer at the same time, but I, I, it wasn't really my driving force. So, Do you enjoy a beer these days still? Yeah, I'll tell you what, it's great to live in a, in a in an era where craft ale and, you know, the, the, I don't know if it's, I'm sure it's the same in Australia. The, the stranglehold that the big breweries have had have gone. Yeah, having to drink what was given to you in a pub was you just had to take you know what it is, and those pubs still exist. But you can now seek out a wonderful array of different beers now in tap rooms and microbreweries, um, and it's great now that you've got the choice. The range is fantastic. So what a great time to you know. To, <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I, I saw you posted on your Instagram a while back a um, porter ale. So I, I, yeah. we. We know you enjoy a tipple, which is perfect for the podcast. One second. Yeah. 
I've just, uh, this is not hard to get. Um, where's it? Oh, yeah. Northern so, Monk. Yeah. Northern Monk. Death Star. Death, Death Star. Uh, and it's uh, 12% uh, Russian uh, stout. That's beautiful. That's like treacle. Yeah, well, we'll all right. Lovely. <laughs> we'll do an episode uh, where we drink it, but at 12%, we, uh, it might be a very short episode. I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, for my sins, I had two last night. that you are kind of making what I essentially would call a kind of inspired by a little bit of electronic um, German yeah. style harmonium cluster kind of yeah. music. When I heard yeah. you doing that, that's to me, that was like finding out that um, Gary Lineker is in a black metal band or something. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so where's this come from? So tell me how that came about. Well, so I, I've always had a passion for collecting, re- yeah, record collecting and going back in the... Because you've got a big vinyl collection, don't you? Yeah. So when I was a school kid, I, I sought out, I didn't rely on what the radio was giving me. I sought out other stuff along with a good friend of mine that I was fortunate enough to be at school with. We both were seeking out different stuff. So not everybody was listening to what's called Canterbury music, you know, with like bands like Caravan and Hatfield and the North and Egg and all the, and Henry Cow and these things and Robert Wyatt. They weren't that popular. Now, most people were listening to Roxy Music and um, um, Steve Harley and Cockney Rebel and uh, I don't know, whatever was in the school, you know, sixth form common room, people bringing their records in. But we were in the minority. Nobody else was listening to Captain Beefheart and Frank Zappa back then. In, in, so I've always sought out stuff as opposed to just let it come to me, but by whatever's played on the radio, because usually you don't, get a great cross-section you certainly don't get to hear that many new bands and, and different bands as well and I've just continued that really so along the way I yes back in back in that time I was aware of Noi and Harmonia and Cluster and um but if anybody had told me I was going to be making music that was considered to be similar I obviously would have laughed them out of the room and it's just a sequence of consequences that have uh, and, and things that have happened uh, along the way I as a natural record collector and music fan, I got the chance to do a radio show. So in doing the radio show, it was going to be a, a, a weird radio show of stuff that I liked that wasn't I wasn't told what to play. Then we started DJing, me and the guy, Carvis Tarabi, that came on my show. And I thought, this is much more fun doing this as a duo. Next minute, we were being asked to do play in a brewery. Our first ever DJing was in a tap room, Red Church Brewery, free beer all night long. Wow. Ooh. <laughs> oh, straight straight from the vat downstairs. It was just 
Perfect. 7% IP. Oh, no, no, they had a 7% uh, stout. I got wrecked every night. It was great. <laughs> uh, and then all of a sudden, out of the blue, a festival called Block Weekend, which was a very well-known electronic music festival that you know, probably majored on techno and electronic artists, but they wanted some couple of people perhaps just to sort of play something slightly different. So we got booked to do that. BBC iPlayer decided to do a little uh, documentary on it. And the next minute, the phone started ringing. And two months later, we were DJing at Glastonbury. <laughs> Our second ever DJing slot was at Glastonbury. And we played <laughs> in front of like 600 people in a tent. We were so new to it all. But um, then I stumbled upon something called a modular synthesizer, an electronic piece of, uh, of equipment with no keyboard. I saw somebody playing one. I thought... I could do that. I, I, I'm no good at, I can't play a guitar or piano. This thing appeared in my life like a, I could try this. Surely, you know, patching wires in like a telephone exchange, I might be able to make some music. So yeah. my, my two other mates at the time, you know, Carvis Tarabi and Mike York, who were in the band as well, they went, let's go, let's have a jam. So there was no plan to make a record, but we had a jam and listened back with a few beers, obviously. <laughs> um, and... Um, when we could make this into something, we could make it into a, into a record. And the next minute, we had a record out. And, you know, pinch me. It was just mad. But it could be seen as, oh, well, Steve Davis has made a record. And yeah. But it's actually, you listen to it and go, anyone yeah. who's into that music is going to get it. And I think that's the... Uh, yeah. Well, it, uh, if it hadn't have been good, it would never, never have seen the light of day. So it's because it, it wasn't a plan to make a record in the first place, it only happened because we went, actually, this could be all right if we worked at it and we got it and we sort of honed it. Uh, the next record that's coming out in June, we've just announced the first track. I think it's online. That's an interesting thing because that all of a sudden now we're making a record as opposed to there's a different dynamic to the first one. Mm. But... We've got this and we're thinking, okay, this is so good. Any record label is going to think this is great. Of course, that's not the case. We also realised that uh, that I might be a problem in the band, that I might be a liability. Because who's going to take a band seriously if you've got a, an ex-snooker player in? World champion yeah. in them. Yeah. It's just a novelty act, obviously. Some sad bloke who's, who's, whose career's washed up, who's now trying to, you know, can you imagine how people would have thought, you know, like, what? Im no, he's had a spitting image puppet. What? So all of a sudden, we realised that maybe I was sort of like the, the elephant in the room that was difficult to sort of get round. So finally, well, we got lucky, really, um, that Rocket Recordings, uh, our record label, actually listened to it. And they weren't going to put it out. They just politely listened to it. And they said to each other, the two lads who run Rocket Recordings, there's no way we're going anywhere near this with a barge pole unless it's doubly brilliant in their opinion. And they actually went, do you know what? I reckon we can do this in spite of me being in the band. The next phase of it was, you know, publicity machine starts for the album, the first album. And um, we didn't know how it was going to be received. You know, were they going to just, you know, novelty record? In spite of me, it also got pretty well uh, critically Not acclaimed. Received. Mm -hmm. so, is, uh, we haven't mentioned the name of the band yet, so it's the, the oh, Utopia. Right. Yeah, the Utopia Strong. So anyone who wants to check it out, we'll obviously be playing bits of that throughout this as well. Um, yeah. Just to be transparent, Steve, we did actually speak to Dave Peacock in our last season of, of uh, Chaz and Dave. Your previous work in the uh, in the uh, music realm, slightly different, I'd say, slightly yeah. different. Well, they're legends, and um, even if the Utopia Strong hadn't existed, you are 
and I don't want to boast, but you are talking to a pop star. Number six in the charts with Snooker Loopy. You, know, <laughs> you can't argue with that. When it got to number six in the charts that week, we were ahead of Whitney Houston, Madonna and George Benson. I mean, <laughs> how, how do you think they felt? You know, what, uh, Whitney Houston going, Snooker? What, what, what the... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And um, yeah, we'd have been higher. We'd have been higher in the charts if it hadn't been for the Chicken song, which was out at the same time. I don't want to boast even more, but because the Chicken song was a spitting image uh, record, um, the video, I was in the background, I was in the chorus of the video. So I was, you know, technically I was number one and number six. I don't want to boast. What a good claim to fame. I love it. But obviously, obviously my only recorded output with being Snooker Loopy, it was going to be a tough ask for a, a serious music journalist to, to go, what the hell's happening here with this the Utopia Strong? This surely's got to be another novelty of some sorts. So it was great when, you know, people actually went, Bloody hell, it's actually proper. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And you're playing with um, Carvis Tarabi, who's got a, a background playing with some pretty cool bands as well. Uh, he's played in Gong, for instance. Yeah, they're, they're touring the UK um, 27 days on the trot. He's away at the moment, yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the, the CV of, our, of the band, uh, Carvis Tarabi, you know, in Cardiacs and Gong and his various other projects that he's done. And Mike York, who who has played on stage with Coil and Current 93. Pretty good lineup when you look at that. And, and then me, me who, who could knock balls around with Dennis Taylor. Um, but the dynamic's quite funny because um, you don't know until you put people together what's gonna what the outcome's gonna be of any conversation, let alone musical things. So it may have worked that I was so raw. Uh, as to you know th- music theory that that I was sort of the X factor that was thrown in to give Mike uh, Mike York and Carvis Tarabi carte blanche to do what they wanted without the rules of normal rehearsed music. So it's all improvised, and none of us really know what we're going to do until it happens. When we got the, the the all clear for the first album, the record label went, obviously you're going to tour to promote it, and I went what. So next minute, I have to be on stage. That was probably the biggest mindfuck I've ever had. We were nervous as kittens. So yeah, yeah. we had no idea how it was going to go along, but we, we just agreed to do it because I think that's probably you know something that um, I mentioned in the book, Medical Grade Music, that if you say yes to things, then things happen. Uh, but if you say no to things, absolutely guaranteed nothing happens. That's good advice and, in general. And it, in a way, yeah. I mean, yeah, you can get yourself into trouble, but um, if you want an interesting life, and I'm not saying I've had one, but if you want, you know, basically most of my life's been trying to knock a ball in a hole with a stick. <laughs> well, that's pretty interesting. It, well, yeah, but if, if, you, uh, if you want to have a bit of fun in your life, if you said yes to everything that comes your way, you'd probably go, yeah, you would have a laugh. You may, you may end up under a bus, but you also, in the process, you probably have great fun. True. And get some good stories out of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So so. when I play snooker or pool, I've got a two pint rule. So when I've drunk two pints of beer, I'm amazing. You know, I can pot everything. And after that or before that, I'm rubbish. Do you feel like that when you go on a stage or playing music? Because of the the instrument I play doesn't really require any coordination as such. Um, (laughs) You can get wasted. I can get wasted. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you got to make sure you don't turn the wrong knobs. There is some relatively wasted. Um, And it does feel a bit strange having a drink while you're doing doing it on stage, but it seems like it's okay within the modular synth world. But... um, 
but you don't want to stumble upon stage. No, you don't. Want to, you don't want to walk and trip over the wires. I always thought the key to um, drinking when you have a gig is you've got to time it that you've got to be up there long enough that you don't need to have a piss. <laughs> yeah, there's that as well. Yeah, that's right. That's, yeah. that's, that's, that's the worry because yeah, usually before a snooker match or uh, anything, yeah, you know, just I, I have to go to the toilet so many times. It's just, yeah, <laughs> that timing thing is uh, is a difficult one. It's... Yeah, but. Um, I don't think I ever realised what was going to happen, but um, that's been something that's been quite incredible. And we, you know, we, we're going to have a few more event, a uh, bit more touring for the new album as well. So everyone is a nerve-wracking experience. It's horrible. I don't know why I agreed. I thought I'd given that up when I stopped playing snooker, the, the nerves of the morning. Yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> Adrenaline. Excellent. Well, hopefully you might make it down to Australia sometime, I don't know, or maybe when I get back to the UK I can uh, check you out. So we're doing 1995 this episode. Can you tell us a little bit about your song choice? Okay, so um, I was at a magma gig in France in a small venue just outside Paris, and um I heard a voice that was an English accent and uh, it was Carvis Tarabi with his wife watching Magma as well, one of their favourite bands and my favourite band of all time, I suppose. And um, we got chatting and we had a good laugh over there and yeah, got to know each other. And in, in the process, Carvis said to me, I'm in a band. And I thought, oh, lovely. I bet he's a little small little band. He said, yeah, we're playing a gig next week in London. I went, my mental picture was oh, back of a pub somewhere. Oh, bless him. Oh, lovely. Oh, come along. So I turned up uh, the Astoria uh, Theatre in uh, just off Charing Cross. It's, it's gone now. Uh, Charing Cross, uh, eighteen hundred screaming cardiacs fans, mm. and my mate on stage. I couldn't believe it. What? He's my new mate, and he's a and he's on stage with Tim Smith, the, the leader of Cardiacs, and. I'd never even heard the music of Cardiacs up until that point. Yeah, I'm not that familiar with them, I must admit. I think Gareth knows them. They're probably one of the biggest cult bands that still remains under the radar. The music's not radio-friendly. It goes all over the place too much for radio. So you just don't get airplay. So now, after meeting Carvis, I invite him on the radio show. And he introduces me to a load of music I've never heard, including Cardiacs. And along the way, Tim Smith, the leader of Cardiacs, put out a solo album called Oceanland World. And there's this one track that is accessible. It's got an element of Kate Bush's running up that hill to me. It's the same. It may be the same era. It's something about it. It's in the same headspace, even though it's trippier. And towards the end of the track, it really gets out there with some of the stuff that's underneath swirling around. Overnight, I was a fan. Shall we play it? Yeah, let's have a listen to it.
wonderful uh the ocean land world um the worry is like there's this stuff out that you don't know exists yeah. so that was one of the reasons why i did i did the radio show to like with one of the the, the hook line to the one of the radio, the radio show was like music you never knew existed if it doesn't get the airplay how on earth do you get a chance to listen to it so there's some you know it's, it's very important you know radio shows over years like john peel's show and things you know going back in time and and it was quite nice to think that i was sort of you know introducing people to stuff they didn't know. The experimental music scene always has been under the radar. The likes of Harmonia and Neue and, and these bands, they weren't known in Germany at the time. And retrospectively, they're heroes now. But the, back then, nobody knew them. It was underground. Cardiacs are one of those bands that seem to attract a certain type of... I mean, I've got lots of friends who are Cardiacs fans. Once you're in that world, it's a club. It's a special gang of people who get that yeah. music as well, I think, which is really interesting. And a lot of their music kind of goes from being Baroque to kind of, I don't know, psychedelic punk. or It's kind of definitely yeah. outsider music. But once you get it, I think once you're in there, once you listen to it a number of times, 
It's not the sort of music you, you get on the first listen. You listen to it a few times and once you're in, okay, now I'm a Cardiax fan. <laughs> My experience of music is that the stuff that you end up liking the most is the stuff that maybe you didn't particularly like first time round. Yeah, totally. I like the fact that in the book that you did that you sort of published a recommendation of a, a record to listen to every week of the year kind of thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to do this. <laughs> and then I, I tried to find half of the music on there. I was like, oh, I think I knew about five of the bands on there. So a lot of obscure things in there. Yeah, I mean, I, to some degree, I'm, I've gone, I always bring down the, the obscure road and, and at the expense of disregarding popular music. And I'm, I think I'm probably more open-minded now than I've ever been, although I still struggle with country and western. <laughs> Sorry. I'll send you some recommendations. Yeah. <laughs> There's good stuff and everything. <laughs> I'm sure. So your new album is coming out shortly. Is that the plan? The record label have issued the first track uh, into the wild called Shepherdess. So that's out on YouTube now. Um, so you can listen to that track and you pre-order the album is how it all works now. Any plans to return to Glastonbury? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah, the last two years, as we all know, have been uh, a very important time to uh, sample a lot of different beers and lay on a sofa. <laughs> well put. <laughs> yeah, which was how I got through lockdown, just uh, uh, getting deliveries in. It was great. Uh, I guess the fact that the album's not coming out for a little while gives you a chance to speak on lots of podcasts like this, and it's been an yeah. absolute pleasure talking Thanks to you. Thanks so much for chatting to us. Uh, really appreciate uh, it. Listen, my two favourite subjects, are, you know, you, you're, and you're covering them. What can you say? That's why we wanted you as a guest, the perfect <laughs> fit. But as soon as I found out that you'd made this record, I uh, definitely wanted to talk to you. So it's been an absolute pleasure, Steve. So good luck with the record when it comes out. Good luck with playing Glastonbury and all the tour and everything that's coming up as well. Um, hopefully I'll get to see you guys sometime. Cheers, lads. Thanks, Steve. Cheers, mate. See ya. Wow. Excellent. You and your bro are big snooker we fans, are. aren't you? Um, and he talked about Tim Smith, and Tim Smith died a couple of years yep. ago, which we didn't really talk to him about that stuff, and uh, massive outpouring of kind of uh, grief around that because of the, the love for cardiacs. I think he pointed out they kind of went under the radar. They did. You know them? Oh, absolutely. You know them? My yeah. mate Stuffy played with them for a while. He played drums. Oh, did he? Live with them, yeah. Yeah. So, well, I've listened to them more recently, and I'm actually getting into it, so it's, it's good to... You can't just play it one time and go, I know the Cardiacs. You've got, right. you've got to okay. play those albums like 10 times and then you go, oh, yeah, okay, this is it. Um, gotcha. So if you're into that. Good way to listen to music. You, yeah. you got to listen 
to it a lot to appreciate yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. they're one of those kind of bands. Your turn for a tune. All right, so I'm going to play this one. I don't really like this artist, but I like this one particular song. Yeah. It's based on a Public Enemy song. It's nothing like okay. it, but it's uh, it's influenced by a Public Enemy yeah. song. Uh, let's listen to it. Song four. I got a letter from the government the other day. Opened it and read it. It said they were suckers. They wanted me for the army or whatever. Picture me giving a damn. I said never. Here is a land that never gave a damn about a brother like myself. Cause I never did. I wasn't with it, but just that very minute it occurred to me that suckers had authority. Time. So who was doing the vocals on that one? Uh, Martina Topley Bird, her name was. So right. she did guests on a few of the things. So I don't actually know what Tricky did, to be honest. He used to be in Massive Attack. And yeah, he sort of yeah, did some yeah, rapping. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. 
on that, he just does the um, the kind of it doesn't do much. And the the lyrics, do you know where the lyrics are from? No, they're from a Public Enemy song. So okay, I'll play a bit of the Public yeah, Enemy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Right. I got a letter from the government the other day. I opened and read it. It said they were suckers. They wanted me for their army or whatever. Picture me giving a damn. I said never. Here's a land that never gave a damn about a brother like me and myself because they never did. I wasn't with it, but just that very minute it occurred to me the suckers had authority. Cold sweating as I dwell in my cell. How long has it been? They got me sitting in. A that was Chuck D. I actually didn't know that, Gary. Yeah, but, so. yeah. We drink and we learn. It's not copying the tune. They're just literally lifting the lyrics. The tricky song is called Black Steel, and the public enemy song is called Black Steel in the Hour of Chaos. And uh, yeah, tricky. He was kind of all right. I didn't. He didn't do much else for me, to be honest. And yeah. it doesn't sound like Massive Attack or it's from Bristol. That same scene as um, Massive Attack and and Porter's Head. Porter's Head, exactly. Yeah. So, but that's not exactly trip hop, is it? Yeah. There you no. go. Hey Gareth, I wanted to bring up. Just like in 1995, there was a lot of bad music, right? Oh, yeah. There was a lot of like sort of bad grunge. Okay. Let me reel off these three songs to give you a bit of a musical landscape. Riding on the grunge bandwagon. Right. Bush, everything zen. Right? Live, I Alone. Do you remember that? Oh, I see. He had his little plat and he was running around. And also, I'm not finished here, Pearl Jam, Better Man. Mm. Yeah, so that post-grunge thing, it was, ooh, it was people were signing grunge bands thinking they were the next Nirvana yeah, yeah. when they were the next Bush. Are you going to play us some Also Rans before your last tune? Uh, also Rans Gareth, Coolio Gangsters Paradise came out, which was, of course, a rip-off or a pastiche of Pastime Paradise by Sam? Stevie Wonder. Mm. I don't think we need to hear any of We don't. Coolio. Did people use the word Coolio before Coolio came around? I don't know. We don't need to hear from him. <laughs> we don't. Um, and the other one I had was um, two bits of Australian culture come together. One from uh, uh, high culture and low culture, and they come together to produce something um, called When the Wild Roses Grow. Nick and Kylie. Who's high culture? Who's low culture there? Um, that's for the uh, audience to work <laughs> out. All right, let's have a little snippet. They call me the wild day I saw her, I knew she was the one. She stared in my eyes and smiled. For lips in a cave, Kylie Minogue. Yeah. Am I on to my last tune? You are. I told you I'm going to go English, Australian, American. Here's my American one. This is one of your favourite bands. I'm not that into them, but I did hear this one, which always sort of had a bit of impact on me. You can maybe tell me more about it than I know. Should we have a listen? Keep me happy. Be number five. Song five.
gonna play the full 20 minutes yeah 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 <laughs> now you're the biggest sonic youth fan of all time that was one of the first ones i heard and it's really funny when they go into the wick out there to me i go that could have been any of my friends bands in melbourne doing that that's because they'd heard sonic youth do it first uh you, you're probably right they're trying you're to be some, right they're trying to yeah be yeah sonic yeah yeah fuck good point when other bands did back in 1981 when they started out so what about in 95 for me, from from the mid nineties, from the early nineties, yeah. actually, they probably start. It's a bit hit and miss for me more than okay. more than the eighties yeah. stuff. Because you're a big fan, I know that. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I've seen them loads of times, and yeah. I've got all their records, and I've you know, it, but I don't sit around playing it. Yeah, and I think those later records, I think there's probably like two or three songs on the on each okay. of those that are kind of yeah. good, and that that one's cool. It does go on for twenty yeah. minutes, and, and it, well, it's funny. Yeah, I think we played. There's a mix that goes for nineteen minutes. Yeah, we won't play that. No, <laughs> that's my last one. There you go. I love yeah. it, Sonic Youth. So I'm gonna do a couple of also rounds. Driving home from the studio late at night, I would mm. probably be looking through different radio stations, and what would have been huge around '94, '95 was Jungle. Oh, yeah. I never heard it until yeah. I actually went in the studio and saw some young kids yeah. messing around with this because samplers yeah, are suddenly yeah, yeah, become. Okay. You can either make music with a sampler and make trip hop where you slow down the samples. Yeah. Or you play jungle okay. and, it kind of, and it goes drum and bassy, double speed. Give us a bit of it. What are we listening to? Ooh, in, uh... Okay, well, I don't know. This is Goldie. 
I mean, that's not really my bag, but it's. Hey, pretty- imagine like you just had to listen to that and it never stopped. That song's like 13 minutes long. So. Oh my god! It, but it's so clever, and it's well and it's well put yeah, together. Yeah, it's not yeah. my it's not my bag, but you know that yeah. was that was definitely happening. Other massive thing that was happening. I thought you might play this one actually. Yeah, my son's been singing this one all week because it's very catchy. What's with this I like the subject of the song, Buddy Holly. I actually didn't like Weezer. I thought they were like a sort of poor man's pavement. I thought that film clip was cool. You remember the film clip? Well, that's why I thought you'd like it because it's- Well, it was Happy Days, Buddy Holly, and they still didn't win me over. So, yeah, (laughs) they were doing something wrong. They ticked two boxes, two out of three boxes. Um, And then, obviously, this band were massive as well. Um, We don't probably need to hear this, but I'll play a little bit anyway. Shapes, mistakes, misfits. Raised on the dirt of broken biscuits Oh, we don't look the same as you And we don't do the things you do But we live around here too Oh, really? Oh, I mean, I'm such a big Pulp fan. They were so cool. Yeah, they were cool. And, like, Jarvis, amazing. I think they've been going since 1983. I I am actually going to finish up with... Mm. It's a Britpop band. I think that's on point. It's on point. Yeah. Gareth is at Oasis Wonderwall. <laughs> Which did come out that year, didn't it? It came out that it year. It came out that year. Like we're singing All Right by um, Supergrass. Well. Yeah. I'm going to play you this.
so of course that was Supergrass. And it's funny, we've been uh, touching on the Britpop. Now, I saw Supergrass when they came here. Yeah. I saw Blur when they came here. I've never seen Blur. Hey, they were so good. I can't believe I'm saying this. One of the best gigs I've been to. Mm-hmm. I saw them at the Metro on the um, the Song 2 tour. Okay, yeah. Woohoo. Yeah, and it was really good. I saw um, Supergrass maybe, I don't know, whenever they came a year later. Uh, they were unbelievably good. They're from Oxford, of course. Mm. And I was just saying to you when we were listening to it, they sound like an unbelievably talented 60s band recorded in the yeah. 90s. Well, he's drumming like Keith Moon on that. And it's just, it's amazing. It's great. I love him. What about this? The singer's name's Gaz Coombs. Mm-hmm. His older brother was in the band and he was never included. In all he was the- sort of in the band. He was in the background on the keyboard. Well, was he too old and ugly <laughs> to be in the band? It was the, it was the Rolling Stones, Ian Stewart thing, man. <laughs> Maybe. No, no, yeah. it really was. They yeah. were like, you know, you're three young cool dudes. Keep the old guy out oh. of this. Yeah. But, um, yeah, another Oxford band. Lots of cool Oxford bands punching above their weight, really. Oxford for a small place like that. So then you'd, oh. at that point in time, you'd have had Ride, yeah, yep, Radiohead, yep. Supergrass doing their thing, mm. Swerve Driver. Is it just the A&R people turn up to where, you know, the coolest thing is? Maybe. Um, I mean, there's good venues there and stuff. So maybe yeah, that, um, you know. Jericho Tavern was Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. So that's my final one. Yeah, like, yeah. 1995 in the that's bag. An, that's it. Yeah. Bye. No, hang on. We got, <laughs> we got to thank Steve Davis for sharing his wonderful music with us and his stories. And I love it. It's great. It was a pleasure to speak to Steve. Yeah. And everyone should check out the Utopia Strong record that's coming yep. out soon that he's uh, been working on. Do it. And listen to his radio show on Phoenix FM, I think it is. And um, watch out for him commenting on the snooker. Championships coming up soon. And we've got another guest next week of course yeah what can we say about the guests we've got next week it's for our final episode of the season we spoke to him in berlin and he famously featured in a documentary that also featured someone else we've spoken to on on the show before that's a clue hey gareth i dig you dig that i dig it okay but he's much more than that doco as we found out from talking to him of course it's gonna be a good one yeah and we're gonna tune into his brainwaves and see what year we're gonna be doing next week this could be interesting because he's got some interesting brainwaves. Let's see where we go. 2021. <laughs> Good stuff. Is it? Yeah, I can do it. 2021? Yeah. Oh, God. Let's do it. Get contemporary, Gareth. We'll oh, it. it's going to hurt. The wound is still open on that one. We can do it, though. Let's see you next week, 2021, and our special guest. Woohoo! Bye-bye. I've got time for one more round. Six pack to go. Six pack. One six pack to go.